Today is Friday, February 17th, 2023. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. President Biden speaks on that spy balloon. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast. We're bringing news from a Christian perspective. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating, share it with a friend. You can email us, quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. It's Friday, getting through the news of the cray together. Billy Hallowell, Trey Gons Phillips with me now. What's up, fellas? We made it. Friday. We made it. We made it. <laughs> we made it to Friday. Yes. I mean, can you, another week flown by. There it goes. But like, what, mid, mid-February already of 2023. Time flies when you're, uh, when you're listening to the Quick Time Start Podcast. Time flies when you're doing time. <laughs> <laughs> what, do we have, uh, what do we have coming up on the, uh, on the focus story today, fellas? Well, we're going to be talking to a doctor who is doing some pretty incredible things in Africa, helping people in desperate need. All right. Always good to hear people being the hands and feet of Jesus there. We'll look forward to the details on that. Also, the 2024 landscape is starting to shape up. The Hills' Julia Manchester stops by to take a closer look at who could throw their hat into the ring next. And that's with our own John Stolness. That's the main thing today. But first, we're going to get through the news here in 90 seconds. President Biden spoke yesterday about those spy balloons and mysterious objects that were shot down in recent days. And he said the latest objects are most likely from private entities and not believed to be related to China or other surveillance operations. The uh, Intelligence Committee is still assessing the three unknown aerial objects. Biden said he gave the order to take down those objects and just couldn't rule out the risk of surveillance. Fighter jets shot down at least four of them, including that spy balloon um, between Alaska and South Carolina. They're trying to retrieve the remnants of the other blasted devices, but said difficult terrain and low temperatures have made it impossible for them to get reach them, and they haven't found them as of yet. Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman checked himself into a Washington, D.C. hospital Wednesday night to be treated for clinical depression, according to a statement from his office. And the death toll in Turkey and Syria is more than 40,000 now and still growing. And collapsed buildings serve as a sobering reminder of the tragedy that earthquake zone is stretching nearly 300 miles. Operation Blessing is on the ground there now, helping out. For more on how you can help aid these efforts, go to ob.org. Those are just some of today's top headlines. You can check out these stories and more over at cbnnews.com. Guys, what'd you make of President Biden's statement? I don't really know what to make of it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's where I'm at. I don't yeah. know. I mean, it's really, it's really wasn't overly specific. Um, he addressed it. It's just, it's a it's an interesting bind because Whatever these things were, it, it, I cannot recall a time where people where things that we don't know what they are, are just flying into our airspace. I mean, maybe it's been happening and we just don't really nobody cares about it. But after that spy balloon fiasco, now everybody's on high alert. And so things are just getting blasted out of the sky all the time. It's it's bizarre. I feel like since 2020, we just lived in this bizarro world where yeah. random things happen and, and nobody knows what what's happening. And then we're just like, eh. Then we kind of just all move on because I think there's always then something else crazy that happens. But I feel like we're living in kind of a twilight zone world right now where nobody knows what to make anything of anything. And and it's weird when you have the president who is releasing statements that kind of say a whole bunch of nothing. So it's not really instilling any sort of confidence. It's just, well, now I have 18 more (laughs) questions. Well, he had to say something. And but speaking of living in bizarro world. 
Uh, there's all the, and th- again, this is, I don't know if this is because social media has become fixated on certain stories, but you're seeing all these plants, different um, production plants or manufacturing plants just have massive explosions. And then we had the train derailment in Ohio, and then there's the big chemical cloud over there and people concerned about um, it being an environmental disaster, or at least, um, you know, something that's harmful to the people in that area because of the toxins that have been into the air and we're seeing more and more of these things and i think people are scratching their heads or they, they're like is this is this something i should be concerned about or is this normal and now we're just seeing more of it because people are fixated on it yeah th- things are going well is what you're saying <laughs> um yeah no i don't think this is normal i i don't i i think that the reality is there's only two options on what's going on with the government's response to this they either don't want anybody to know what these things are and they're not willing to share it because of some sort of national security issue or they just don't want them to know for some reason or they have absolutely no clue what is going on. I think I'm leaning towards the second. I'm not saying that's definitively what's happening, but considering that our missile missed <laughs> one of the yeah. objects that we didn't we didn't know that it was actually in the air until it was in our, you know, in our space. I mean, it's insane. Well, and I just wanted to bring up, you got to also realize we're kind of in a time now where war is different. Now it's all going to be cyber warfare or EMPs or messing with our food supply or viruses. Not making any conclusions there. I'm just saying this yeah, is... Gonna, don't open that can no, of No, I know. But, but I'm just saying China and America most likely are never going to get into a head-to-head military full-on combat. But you're going to see subterfuge or whatever you want to call it, behind-the-scenes sort of ways, these alternative ways of warfare to fight each other. And so I think this is what a lot of people are thinking when they see all these headlines is, is someone attacking us? It's an interesting perspective because I think we've we've seen like just on the along the the vein of how war is changing and how interaction is changing. Like during this this Ukraine issue with Russia, so many so many of the or a lot of on social media, they were very active, right? And yeah. posting memes while they're in mm-hmm. the midst of a war. Mm-hmm. They're posting memes on Instagram and, and Facebook and trying to pressure the U.S. into supporting them by posting things on social media and posting tweets on social media. So I think is it, <clears throat> it is interesting, the world that we're living in now and the way that we engage each other. But the scary part, I think, is you never know then what is... yeah. What is an engagement in war? Like, could could some like flying a balloon over be uh, some sort of uh, initiation of of war, or could a post on social media be uh, an initiation of of some sort of uh, of issue between two countries? So I don't know. It's 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 a strange and wild world we're living in right now. I think. Well, I'll tell you. You know, when you have most of your products, including you know, life-saving medication being made in a foreign country that hates you, you're not in a great position. And I think that we've allowed ourselves yeah. to be in a really dangerous position as a country, yeah. all for the sake of saving money. I mean, it's it's a little, in the end, we may be paying a lot more than we would have had we just, you know, not gone this route. Well, you're 100%. And you can kind of see the dilemma, a, a way to see that dilemma that you're talking about is with, for example, the NBA. And they have made it a big marketing effort for them to get into the Chinese market. And then when all these stories come out about these abuses and these human rights abuses, the NBA is unwilling to stand. And they won't do it because they have billions and billions of dollars tied up in trying to reach the Chinese market. And you wonder if the NBA is 
you know, folding like a cheap suit when they need to say something and have a backbone to stand up to these human rights abuses, they don't do it. Same thing with Apple and, and others. They they refuse to do it. Well, what what is our government doing then? You know, are they going to do the same thing? Just back down because well, we get cheap products there and we get cheap labor there. It's it's definitely uh, something that's very troubling, and I think a lot of people sense that. But and certainly something we are going to keep an eye on at CBN News is we've. We're, we're always reporting on the latest developments coming from China because, of course, as Christians, we know being a Christian in China is incredibly difficult as well. So um, a lot to be on the lookout for there. But uh, in the meantime, we're going to head on over to a more positive story here. And a doctor is on a mission to help those in need. Billy, what's the story? Well, and it's not just any doctor. It's Dr. Paul Osteen. He's the brother of Joel Osteen, megachurch pastor that a lot of people know. But Dr. Paul Osteen is a medical doctor. He is a surgeon, and he's got a heart for reaching the least of these, reaching the unreached. He has spent years serving the poor in Africa. And this is something a lot of people might not realize, uh, but about 16 years ago, um, he's a surgeon here in the U.S. He decided to go over for a medical missions trip and that was really an eye-opening event for him, and he has been working in this space. He's actually um, preparing to host an event that starts today. It's called the Mobilizing Medical Missions Conference. It runs on the 17th and 18th, and it's going to be held at Lakewood Church down in Houston. But the goal of this conference is to essentially bring people together in the medical space who want to serve overseas and to help those people in need. Hmm. So what does uh, Dr. Osteen say is the motivation behind all this? Well, it's interesting. I mean, this is a family that's had multiple pastors. Um, his dad was also a preacher, and he told me that, you know, when he was a kid, he was 12 years old, his dad took him on a missions trip to Africa. And as a kid, he said, you know, I got off the plane, I was on the tarmac, and they were refueling the plane. And he said, I just felt like God put it in my heart. One day you'd come back here as a missionary. So as a kid, he felt this calling on his life that, you know, I'm sure he didn't realize he was going to be a surgeon then, right? That he was going to come back to Africa and, and be a missionary there. And so he said, God birthed that dream in his heart. And he became a surgeon years later and started practicing in Little Rock, Little Rock, Arkansas. And then again, went on that, that missions trip. And it really, it changed everything for him. He said God intersected his path with the ability to do medical missions. And he actually, and this is crazy, he spends four to five months a year in sub-Saharan Africa doing surgeries, providing medical service to people who have no, absolutely no medical service. Hmm. What does he say he's learned through all this? Well, you know, that's, that's the interesting thing because he talked about, you know, suffering. He's like, look, you know, he's really aware of how blessed we are in America, right? Despite all of mm. our complaints, the access we have, he's like, look, if my kids need a Tylenol or an ibuprofen for a fever, I go to the drugstore and get it, but they don't have drugstores. They don't have money. They're, these are villages where people are far away. He talked about how he was once um, in Zambia and somebody came up to him and told him, you know, you're the only surgeon in the area of the size of Louisiana who is capable of doing surgeries right now. And that just really opened his eyes. Yeah, that's really interesting stuff and great to see these efforts underway. And it's um, it's just one of those things that until you see it with you can with your own eyes, it's very hard to comprehend the level of desperation in some of these places. I mean, for example, Haiti, if you've ever been there, it's just you're there and you're walking around and the people amazingly have joy and they have optimism in the midst of a, a lot of this chaos that's going on, but they're living in 
makeshift houses, you know, some of them just under very, very, very modest means, just little shacks, basically. And they got to walk to go get water. I mean, just stuff that we would consider unthinkable here in America. And so, um, I, you know, I can, I can, I would highly recommend, I guess, people taking at least a missions trip to one of these countries that's in desperate need just to stir your heart because um, we, we, we really can get clouded to the need that's out there in the abundance yeah. that is America. Yeah, he said it changes your theological lens a little bit. And I thought this yeah. is a really interesting statement. He said, I heard someone say that when they first started working in the developing world, they thought that the world was a place of prosperity with pockets of poverty. But really, the world is a place of poverty with just pockets of prosperity. I thought, man, that is a that is a solid truth. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's just a, it, it's such a cool story when you see believers really stepping out in obedience, right? And doing what they they feel the Lord has called them to do. Um, because why would somebody like Osteen, who's a successful doctor, he comes from a successful family that people in the United States know, certainly in his, in his community, he was he is well known. Uh, so he could be doing any number of things, right? Mm-hmm. And could be living really lavishly. Not to say that he doesn't enjoy his life and, and that his life isn't isn't good. I'm sure that it is. But he could be doing a lot of other things with his time, money, and talent. And instead, uh, he's investing it in the kingdom and investing it in caring for people who need care and doing it in the name of Christ. And I think that's just such a such an encouraging thing to see and also can be convicting, right? Because you have yeah. to wonder, am I doing everything that I can in my sphere of influence uh, to, to benefit the kingdom? Or am I benefiting my own lowercase k kingdom and just building up treasures here that are, you know, all going to fade away, yeah. right? Because scripture, we can't take that with us. Yep. Yep. The old, the old line is nobody has a U-Haul attached to their hearse. And if they do, it's not going to help you any. Um, just like the old uh, ancient pharaohs that would, uh, you know, put all their treasures in a, in a tomb with them. And they thought that that somehow it was all going to go with them. It's not. And you're right, Trey. It is very convicting to think about how we are going to give an account for everything we right. did here on earth. Now that's not that doesn't your salvation's not based on that, right? But but we are going to have to give an account for what we've done with our time, with the abilities that God gave us, with the material possessions that God gave us. What did we do with that? And if all we did was, you know, press our own entertainment buttons and feed ourselves and that's it, um that's not good. That is not good and um you know, I think this is a great reminder that, you know, hopefully we can be engaged more. I mean, I talked about what's going on with the earthquake here, and there are opportunities all over the place to help people in need. And even if it's just sending some of your resources to Operation Blessing, where people are on the ground, I mean, you don't have to be, you know, flying around and jet setting in the world and saving people all over the place. Because when you see it, the need is just so overwhelming, right? There's just so many things, one person, one organization, you can't possibly a fix it all, but you can do uh, your part. And uh, I think Dr. Osteen is, and I think that's great. Yeah, it's powerful. It's, it's a powerful reminder that we can make a big difference. Indeed. All right, guys, thanks for that story. Appreciate it. We're going to move on over to the main thing now and right on into, I mean, from that positive story right on into 2024 talk. I mean, how's that for a transition for you? But 2024, it'll it'll be here sooner than sooner than later. And there obviously Nikki Haley has thrown her hat into the ring. Others will surely follow. Former President Trump is also in as well. He was the first one to kind of officially 
do that. So what's coming next? How are Democrats responding to all this? What is their plan? They're changing up their primary schedule. There's a whole lot of things going on. Well, The Hills, Julia Manchester stopped by to talk with CBN's John Stolness about all things 2024. That's today's main thing. Nikki Haley announced her candidacy for president this week. She's now the second Republican to do so. And I think it's interesting to try and figure out what space she's going to occupy in the party. And I know there's going to be more candidates to announce over the next few months. Where do you think she fits in if you look at the far right Trump wing of the party and maybe some of the more moderate Republicans? Where is she, do you think, in in that spectrum? Yeah, it's a good question. I think she could um, potentially navigate a number of different lanes over the Republican spectrum. You know, I think Nikki Haley, some people think of her as a moderate because she has been critical of Trump in the past. And she's very much tried to appeal to, um, you know, women in the party or maybe right leaning women independents, for example. So it kind of has the, um, you know, look of being a moderate. However, a lot of Nikki Haley's uh, policies are actually quite conservative. And she's really delving into these culture war issues. You know, in her announcement video, it showed, um, you know, screenshots of the 1619 project, for example, and sort of anti-wokeness rhetoric, if you will. So she's appealing to the conservative side of the spectrum in that. But at the same time, though, what differentiates her from some of the other candidates is really her breadth of experience. On paper, I think it could be argued that she could very well be one of the most qualified candidates. It's having legislative experience in the South Carolina legislature, having executive experience in um, the governor's mansion in South Carolina, and of course, her experience as U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, giving her that foreign policy experience. So you could see her sort of in that foreign policy lane going head to head with someone like a Mike Pompeo, the former secretary of state, or even um, vice a former Vice President Pence or Donald Trump, who also obviously had some foreign policy experience in the party. But look, she's going to have to differentiate herself because right now, even though she's the second candidate to get in, the media narrative and the narrative that's really sort of seems to be playing out in a lot of the polls shows a two-way race between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, who in a way occupy a very similar wing of the party, sort of the conservative wing of the party. But at the same time, you know, they're very much uh, popular still, um, you know, with the GOP base. So it's going to be a challenge for Haley, not saying she can't do it, but she's going to have to carve out that lane. Donald Trump came out generally in support of her candidacy. He's spoken highly of her over these last few weeks as it became clear that she was going to announce a couple of weeks ago and then yesterday noting uh, um, that uh, it was it's good that she's running, but also that, you know, reminding the world that she said she'd never run against him and now she is. So a little bit of a veiled shot there from the former president. Do you see her being able to slice away some of Trump's supporters or is she going to get in the way of some of the other candidates who might take away some of the Trump vote? Yeah, so actually polling that we've seen shows that she actually takes away from DeSantis's support, which would benefit a Donald Trump. Um, look, if she continues to rise in the polls, though, and uh, presents more of a threat to the former president, I think you'll start to see him going more after her. And we've seen a lot of his allies and his own campaign start to up that rhetoric. Yesterday, they sent out sort of an opposition research uh, email against Haley talking about, you know, her past comments 
against wanting to, um, you know, do entitlement reform to programs like Social Security and Medicare and even bringing up a 2012 interview where she was talking about being a woman for office and talking about how Hillary Clinton, even though they disagree policy wise with each other, Hillary Clinton sort of inspired her in that way. So you're already seeing it really heating up. But I think if she presents more of a threat to Trump, he's going to up that rhetoric. Vice President Mike Pence has been doing all the things a presidential contender does without officially declaring so far. And it also seems clear, as you mentioned, DeSantis will probably announce a run at some point. Do you have a sense when they and other Republicans and Tim Scott has been mentioned, you mentioned Mike Pompeo, how much how much time can they wait before throwing their hats into the ring now that a second Republican has done so? Yeah, look, um, you actually heard Tim Scott today say on a radio program that there is room for two South Carolinians in the presidential primary, which is uh, quite interesting. Look, I think they do have some time for someone like a Governor Ron DeSantis or even Governor Glenn Youngkin, who is said to be considering some sort of role in 2024. We'll see if that's a presidential uh, candidate role. Um, For them, they have to pay attention to their state legislative sessions. So once those sessions wrap up in Florida, in Virginia, I think you could see them potentially jump into the race. They don't want to be multitasking too much. They want to keep an eye, obviously, on their day job right now as governors. Um, Mike Pompeo also inching towards this, going on his book tour. He recently sat down with my colleague, Niall Stanaj, to talk about his own, um, you know, book and such. So they're all inching towards it. So I think in the spring, in the summer, you're going to see more announcements. Usually when the, there's a, a president in power and they're in their first term. It's it's a fait accompli that they're going to be the nominee for a second term. So as we look over at the Democratic side, given President Biden's age, there seems to be angst on among Democrats that Biden may not be the best choice to run. And there's a desire by some in that party to change up. Um, change up some things. And one of the things they also want to do is change up the order in which the primaries are conducted. Why do Democrats want to change up the order of the primaries? And, And where do things stand with regards to that? Well, with regards to Biden, first of all, there's no other contender that's really been floated. And it seems that especially after a State of the Union address, Democrats very much rallied around him. So, you know, we hear that, you know, the age issue, et cetera, but no one, we hear all these names for 2028, but we haven't really heard a lot of names for 2024. So I think he's going to be the nominee and he's um, very much signaled that he is, um, you know, in the process of getting ready to launch that campaign. In terms of the primary calendar, look, this is you know, nothing new. Democrats have been inching towards this for a while. Um, look, South Carolina and Nevada um, racially and culturally are more diverse than Iowa and, and New Hampshire. And that's something that Democrats have said is a priority to them. You've also seen that, you know, for Biden, especially in 2020, he didn't even say for uh, New Hampshire primary night. He headed straight to South Carolina. Once he won the South Carolina primary, it was smooth sailing for him. So in a way, South Carolina 
um, has a better track record of choosing those uh, nominees. And in Nevada, they recently switched from the caucus to the primary system. So that would benefit someone like a Biden more. So I think they're leaning in on that cultural and uh, racial diversity that you see in those states. The issue is, though, New Hampshire Democrats don't want to give up their first in the nation status, um, in part because it's literally a law in New Hampshire to um, have their primary be the first in the nation primary. And with a Republican governor, uh, Chris Sununu, who's also mulling his own potential presidential bid, um, you know, he's not necessarily going to cater towards the DNC to figure out some sort of a compromise between the New Hampshire Democratic mm -hmm. Party and uh, the Democratic National Committee. So if we see that New Hampshire Democrats don't move their primary date, we could see them get their delegates, um, you know, slashed in half or, you know, potentially, um, you know, maybe see candidates who campaign in New Hampshire before South Carolina get punished by being disqualified from the debate stage, that sort of a thing. Um, we probably won't see the results of this until 2028 because of the fact that they're just probably there hasn't really been a primary challenge against President Biden. It doesn't really seem that there's much interest this cycle for any Democrats to primary challenge President Biden. Well, it still feels early to be talking this much about 2024, but we've got big name candidates who are starting to roll out campaigns. And so um, it, we're getting the groundwork laid here for what's going to be a very, a very busy next couple of years. And make sure that you're you're checking out everything that Julia Manchester is doing for The Hill. You can follow her on the Twitter machine at Julia Manch. Julia, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, John, for having me. All right, John and Julia, thanks for breaking all that down. Appreciate it. That leaves us with time for one last thing. So we're going to look at Genesis 22, verse 12. It says, uh, and he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now, I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Obviously, uh, talking about Abraham and Isaac and Abraham's willingness, he had wanted a son for so long, right? And he was willing to sacrifice mm. that son that he had waited so long for. And it just is a reminder to me to remember that God gives us blessings and so often gives us the desires of our heart. But our, our purpose in that is to hold them with an open hand, right? And be willing to give them back to the Lord in obedience because he's who we truly follow. We don't follow after these, these blessings. Yeah, that's right. And then, and then also there's so many lessons to learn in that moment too. I mean, God shows up yeah. on time. He provides on time and, and the trust, listening the faith to God that immediately Abraham, yes. too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Obeying, listening, trusting. He doesn't know how God's going to provide, but he trusts that he will and he does uh, just in time. Trust and obey for there's no other way. Remember that lyric? It's true, though. You got to trust. You got to trust for real. You got to. And, and I think it's hard. It's hard in life to do that. But that lyric is, is solid. That sounds like it's from an 80s Christian worship song, is it? I'm yeah, not like familiar. Like a Maranatha or something like, or other. That's okay. a Carmen song. Oh, there we go. <laughs> no, I don't really know. <laughs> Lord willing, in that creek, they'll rise. We'll be back here on Monday with more. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. We'll see you back here on Monday.